Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Here we are in Los Angeles, California. What makes this a exciting special edition of FNO InsureTech is that Lee Boyd is sitting right next to me. We're on a couch. We're sitting on a couch right next to each other. We're we're making we're we're making the donuts in the same room today. We are. It has not happened in a long time. I can't remember the last time. I think a couple of years. It's been it's been a long time. Yeah. And we are at the Core Logic interconnect conference yeah we are on behalf of our employer alacrity solutions what a cool conference it's a very cool conference talking about all things uh kind of insure tech kind of insure tech underwriting Data, claims restoration ai a lot of ai 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 a lot of ai and we've learned about all sorts of things and they've come out with some new stuff but it's it's been exciting but really the most important part is that we're Sitting here on a couch together, and and don't get the wrong idea. It's 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 not that nice of a couch. No, it's, it's just a couch. Really, I think I have the same couch in my office. We had to do this because we can't be too far apart because we only brought one microphone with us. That's right. So, so we're sharing a microphone. Um, but uh, we of all the of all the episodes that we've done recently, I'm really glad we we're together for this one because we have with us today. Yeah. The co-founder and CEO of ClearCover, the InsureTech auto insurer, yeah, Kyle Nakasuji, here today after long last. This is a guy who we've been, I'm going to say, waiting on. He said that he would do the podcast. He's just a really busy guy. It's taken a really long time till everybody's calendar worked together. Yeah. And and it just so happened that it's while we're at a conference. So we're in a hotel room but doing he's, a podcast. He's a big deal. I mean, I was telling Al before we recorded this, I've seen him speak at InsureTech Connect for several years. And he's a big deal. He seems to be one of those founding fathers of the current InsureTech world. And I I, I mean whenever we went out to InsureTech Connect in 2017, 18, 19, I mean he was there. He's speaking mm-hmm. and people attended and they listen. And we're going to get to talk to him today about what he's doing, building this full stack insurance carrier, selling auto insurance up against the, the the gorillas of the world. How's he doing it? What's he focus on? And he's a delight. It, it's it's really neat to get to talk to him. Super level headed and, and knows his principles and his values. Very principled approach. Yeah. To running a business, to developing a product, yeah, um, he knows what he's doing, and um, they're just they're just at it, going at it, very straightforward, very dead on, um, like they did from the beginning. Which is not to say that they haven't encountered. Um, There's been some bumps, bumps, plenty of bumps, but um, as you all know, in the insure tech carrier world, there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of carnage. And uh, this is not one of those companies. This is a company that's uh, doing great things, uh, raising money and um, doing and job. succeeding. Yeah. And so instead of listening to a couple of yo-yos in Los Angeles, California, yeah. what, what do you say we uh, get to the interview? Let's jump into that interview. Let's, let's do that. Okay. So without further ado, here is our interview with Kyle Nakasuji, CEO at ClearCover. Hey, everybody. We are here for a uh, little bit different process podcast than what we usually do. <laughs> Lee and I are in the same room, aren't we? We are. This never happens. <laughs> for so many reasons. Too. So many reasons. I'm now re- remembering why. In fact, in fact, we're in a hotel room together. We are. There's only uh-huh. one bed. The bed is unmade. It's you sleep like a, clothes like a are either. strewn around the room. Couldn't pick up for me or anything. Not, not, no, not at all. Although there are no. Under, I appreciate yeah. there's no underwear. Okay, I wasn't going to say that. Well, I did. Um, all of this has nothing to do with our guest today. Not a thing. Super special. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you a little story. So the reason that we are doing a 
we're at a we're at a conference. Yeah. We're at the CoreLogic conference. CoreLogic conference. Um, in Los Angeles, California, in this really nice hotel, and we're doing this podcast because we have Kyle Nakasuji with us, and it's taken a minute to get him on the podcast. <laughs> And uh, apparently, I'm not going to let him forget that. Because <laughs> I've not. said it like five times. <laughs> he's a big and, deal. He's a huge deal. He's, he's a face of insure tech. He's, he's, he's one of those guys. And anyways, we have him coming to us from where, Kyle? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And had I known we were going to co-write a Danielle Steele novel, I would have joined <laughs> A lot earlier. So next, now I know for the next time. Yeah, that's uh, something that we don't always advertise because we like to keep that kind of, you know, yeah, quiet. But that's right. be worth but looking yes. into. But, but yes, you're right. So Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Why Milwaukee, Wisconsin? When I'm sitting here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I also happen to be the co-founder and CEO of ClearCover. ClearCover is based in Chicago. We started the company there about six years ago. We were about 30% remote before the pandemic, when the pandemic okay. started in March of 2020, we went fully remote and uh, we're still that way. So my daughter just turned one about a week ago. Oh, Congratulations. Wonderful. Thank you. And when she was about negative six months old, we decided, you know, it ought to be a good idea to get closer to home since we, we work remotely anyways. So we moved from Chicago back up to Milwaukee to get some free babysitting. And here we are. Smart. That's kind of worked out, I bet, huh? You know, I wish I could say yes. The, the, <laughs> the thought was there. It turns out right before we moved, my sister, who's about 10 years younger than me, announced she was pregnant with twins. Okay. So my babysitting services got sucked up really quickly as soon Real as the boy. twins came along. So but you got to help her out. She has twins. She has two. She, she, she could one. use help. So yeah, so I had the free babysitting for like four or five months and then yeah. went to the twins. Yeah. Yeah. You can't top that. Only with triplets. I, and I, I don't intend to top it. I'm just going to figure <laughs> out the babysitting thing. Yeah. One is, one is hard enough. You live in the, yeah. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You mentioned in everything we've talked about so far that you do happen to be the co-founder and CEO of, of, of ClearCover. Maybe we could talk about that for a few minutes. I think that's think? a good idea. Why don't we learn a little bit about that? Tell us, what is this ClearCover anyways? And what do you guys do? We're still, we're, we figure it out every day, just like, uh, like a real startup. Okay, Clear, cool. ClearCover is a next generation auto insurance company. The company was built on the idea that uh, in order to build sort of a generational insurance franchise, one that can be around for a very long time, the most important thing you can do is create an advantaged cost structure. So we use technology and our business model to create a better cost structure, which we believe allows us to deliver better customer experiences over the span of time it takes to build something great in this industry. It's not sexy, but that was the plan a little over six years ago when we started, and it's still the plan today. What's technology advantaged mean? Yeah, you've sort of thrown me right into pitch mode. <laughs> yeah, let's not mess Sadly. around here. Okay, let's get busy. Come on. Money we're paying are, for this? There are, yeah, that's right. I'll, we'll, yeah. Well, I'll give you the pitch. You tell me how I did. There are four pillars to how we think about using technology in our business strategy to create these costs and customer advantages. And each of these pillars has like a cool chapter title because it's supposed to help me keep investors and podcasters awake while I monologue. So I'm going to, I'll give you the chapter. So the first pillar we call digital for digital. And there's two parts to this. The first digital just means that we built a digitally native insurance company. And as a result, there are some cost advantages that we accrue. So if we're built digitally native, things tend to happen more efficiently and cheaply. The four digital is actually the more important part because it turns out that you can build as much technology as you want, but unless you point it at a customer or a user who's going to make use of it, it doesn't actually make you that efficient. And so the four digital means we spend most of our time focusing on a digitally inclined customer and the combination of building the technology and pointing it at a customer who is likely to use it yields much greater cost benefit than just building the technology alone. So this first pillar we call digital for digital. We're a, we're a technology company. We focus on digitally savvy customers. The second pillar 
uh, has to do with data and AI. I call it fast integrated AI again, chapter titles. But this is um, there's a whole bunch of things we do with data that are integrated with the decisions we make to run the business, whether it's how to sell policies, how to think about renewals. We have a product called Clear Claims, which allows us to use AI to determine eligibility for basically an instant claims payout. About 10 to 15% mm -hmm. of our claims get paid out in less than 30 cool. minutes today, something cool. nobody else can do. So That's AI is cool. a big part of it. The third pillar is distribution. We, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but it's something we call demand capture. And at a high level, we believe that uh, there are two ways to distribute insurance. One is to generate demand for your product. The other is to just focus on being in places where that demand already exists and get very good at capturing the pre-existing demand. We only do demand capture. We think it's much better for the consumer. It turns out it's much cheaper to acquire customers that way too. Yeah. And then the last pillar is um, what we call our customer confidence loop. And this is the tool we use to figure out where we invest the cost savings created by the business. Um, and we believe that a great insurance customer experience only has four components, transparency, convenience, affordability, and value, what you get for your money. We take these cost savings created by the business and we invest them in those four things in a lot of cool ways. So that's it. Those are the four things that we do. Those things when combined are the sort of manifestation of how do you lower your costs and how do you use those low costs to do great stuff for customers. That is fascinating. You were, you were prepared for that one. <laughs> I've done it <laughs> once or like a thousand times. So I would, I would imagine. Uh -huh. And so is this insurance, so you're selling auto insurance to anybody, wherever you sell it, whatever state you're able to set you to anybody who is willing to go uh, with a digital platform, you would sell them insurance. Yeah. We operate in 20 States We're a, we're a full stack or fully licensed insurance company. Um, so we build our own products. We, we're, it's a soup to nuts insurance business. And so back to demand capture. One of the things yeah, that's yeah. interesting about Thank demand you. capture is it's not actually a channel centric definition. Again, so we believe one way to acquire customers is to generate demand. And if you think about Geico and State Farm, like, you know what demand generation looks and yeah. feels like. Demand capture just means using technology to plug yourself into places where that demand already exists. And oddly enough, everybody wants to talk about embedded insurance nowadays. And that's part of it. Yeah, we do that right. stuff too. But huh. demand capture also includes an independent agent on the street corner. And it includes, you know, some of the big like aggregator groups of agents. And it includes comparison websites. It includes all the new digital agencies. We don't discriminate. We just go to places where the demand has been generated by someone who's good at it. And then we use technology to plug our product in. And then of course we have an underwriting appetite and we think about which risks are a good fit for us and which are not, but it's not a channel centric view of the world. It's a, um, it's a customer centric view in that we just chase the places where that demand exists because it's more efficient for us to do so. So of all those places, what are the few largest ones that where you do capture demand? We are, have been, and continue to be very focused on our agency channel, which includes independent agents and includes, you know, what, what the market refers to as national accounts, but like some of the bigger, larger network groups of, of agents. Um, it's been a good source of growth for us. I think InsureTechs have, in my opinion, myself included. So, so this is kind of a fun story. If you go back in time to the beginning of ClearCover, we always held this belief that we used to call it moments that matter. We always had this belief that it was our job to integrate insurance into moments that matter, places where it mattered to the consumer. But at the same time, we had sort of this preconceived and really unsubstantiated bias that agents didn't fit that definition. It was too expensive to work with an right. agent. You couldn't possibly work with an agent and still have a good cost structure. Right. And, um, and you know, I think stupidly, I put a, I put like a graphic on the website when we were brand new that said something along the lines of like, these are the like wasteful expenses we cut out of the system. And one of the labels on it was agents, right? Like, and, and it was pointed out to me, rightfully so, like you're, you're a jerk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I got it. You're a jerk. Um, I will not sell your product. Yeah. 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 You are, uh, you are right, sir. Um, but 
we, we sort of, upon reevaluating the business, we said, how can we say that we care about moments that matter moments when the consumer is thinking about insurance or is inclined to care about insurance and ignore agents you and can't, you can't no. right. It's impossible. No. And if you no. look at it, that's why they're there. They're there for those moments. They're the definition of it. That's Absolutely. Where the def- that's where they're the manifestation of it. Yeah. They're the, they're the, they're absolutely the manifestation of it. And, and it turns out that, um, in particular independent agents, provide this incredibly valuable service to, com- to consumers, which is unbiased advice on how you get the best value. And, and because of that valuable service, if you look at, there's this very famous market share chart of like, Hey, direct's market share has gone up like this. And captive's market share has gone down. Like basically the inverse of that line and the independent agent line is completely flat. They've had about 33% of the market in terms of distribution for the last 15 years. And it's held completely steady in the face of all of this spending and direct because they provide this value and service to consumers. So we woke up, we saw it, we said, not only is this a moment that matters, it's a place where we can use technology to improve the agent and the customer experience. And it turns out it's a great place to find customers. So we, we spend a lot of time there now for sure. Cool. So you're giving them, um, a technology product, that's making their life easier to present your product to their insured. There's a couple of layers to it. It's, it's quote bind issue. And we have, you know, our own platform. We also work with all the major raters. So if an agent's using a rater, you know, it's easy enough to work with us that way. Uh, there's some really cool stuff we're rolling out this year around engagement with the agent as their book grows, which, which I'm super excited about that, that, that will be coming shortly. And then it's also about using the technology to really streamline the customer's experience post bind, because that then allows the agent to spend less time figuring out how to get the customer's vehicle on a policy or even manage them through the claims filing process. It allows the customer to handle that stuff themselves in a way they appreciate and it's convenient. Mm -hmm. So the agent can focus on running their business and selling insurance, which is the thing that makes them money. So it really is across the technology helps us and it's not perfect. We're not perfect today. There's a lot of work we have left to do, but we try to use technology to improve the agent experience across the agent's life cycle and the customer's life cycle, because in the long term, that's when we think we'll really reap the most reward. You know, our podcast is four years old and we've seen in four years, the attitude, opinion, um, and the esteem that the agent is held in, in general, go up, 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 right? I mean, very important, not only, not only for companies like yours, but now there are a number of insure techs that are making products, right? For that channel. And I mean, it's like everybody woke up and said, whoa, no, they're not going to be the losers here. They're the the winners. They're the winners. (laughs) Pretty, pretty cool, actually. I agree. I think I went up and down that particular curve myself. I had to apologize to a few people along the way, but we ended up in the right place. Was that part of the thought process? I I assume it was. You put it on the website. In 2016, I mean, you started this company, you co-founded this company, and you're up against gorillas in this space, right? Huge, old, 100-year-old companies who have been doing this for a very, very long time. I assume that's one of the things you're like, oh, well, you have agents. We don't have to have agents. What did you think you were doing that was better than what they were doing? It's a good question. The core idea, and we talked about this a little earlier, was the most important and defining competitive feature of every great insurer in history in the period of time in which they, they sort of had the best competitive advantage was cost structure. And you can go way back to figure this stuff out. I, your viewers can't see this. I keep a book next to me on my desk pretty much at all times called the farmer from Myrna. Okay. And this was a book that state farm commissioned back in the fifties to tell their own story. So it tells the story of a gentleman named GJ McHurl who was the founder of State Farm. And he was a uh, 40-year-old ex-farmer, decided he wanted to get out of farming because his back hurt. I thought he'd get into the insurance business. <clears throat> and to, um, to, it's a very interesting story, but to, to shorten it, uh, what Mr. Mahurl decided was that the mutuals of the time 
spent too much money running their companies and distributing the product. And what he would do is run a more efficient business and distribute it through the farm co-ops in Illinois, where he started the company, which would Mm -hmm. lower his acquisition costs and allow him to pass lower prices on to the consumer. Hmm. And that cost benefit was the backbone of State Farm's growth for decades to come. You fast forward now to 1933, a company called USA decided they would distribute the product through military affinity, which would lower their distribution costs, which would be the foundation of a lower cost structure, which would help them offer better prices. In 1936, two people from USAA left and decided to do the same thing with government employees. They called that business Geico. And so the story repeats itself again and again and again. If you can find a way to create a better cost structure, you can build an enduring insurance franchise. So we had to ask ourselves, is it possible? Can we do it again? Yeah. And the last was time that, any- was that the original f- question that you guys were asking? I mean, you had can to, we do you had to like start can. there. We had right? to start there, right? Because because there's no. We believed strongly that if you could build a structural cost advantage, you could build a great insurer. But the next question was, can, is it possible today? To your point. Right. There's, there's a With bunch a of commodity. companies. They've been around for it's yeah, right. It's a very homogeneous market. Like, can you do it again? And we again looked at. You, you'll you'll find there are a lot of ways you can learn. You can pick up like a, a business book or a textbook and learn a concept. There's a lot of like con- conceptual or topical books. You can go do something. I think one of the more neglected ways of learning, at least when I was growing up, um, was history. Right, mm-hmm. looking at reading yeah. biographies and like it, it's all been done before. Right. So, so we looked again at history and we said, when's the last time somebody did this? And it turns out it wasn't a new company. It was Geico and Progressive in the mid nineties who decided they would go direct when none of their competitors were going direct, which lowered their acquisition costs and gave them the same structural advantage, which they put into advertising and growth. And for 25 years, they took market share from everybody. So that was the thing we needed to improve on, right? That was, that was the one we were like, well, if we can do better than that, then we got a shot. And it came down to those four pillars that I described to you earlier. And in particular versus Geico and Progressive, the fact that direct used to be a highly efficient and more defensible way to create customer acquisition cost advantages. And over the last 20 years, it's flipped. It is now more inefficient to acquire customers direct than it is to work with an intermediary and pay a commission, which is a counterintuitive thing. Um, But if you do the math, what you'll find is that it costs you more and your lifetime value to acquisition cost ratios are worse if you acquire direct as an auto insurer than if you work with a partner. Because you have a you have a relationship and insurance is complicated. Is that correct? Acquisition costs in in our line of business have gone up because the market is really saturated. It's really expensive. It's really noisy. So you just have to spend more and more and more. So you've seen acquisition costs go up and up and up. And at the same time, all of that advertising has coached the customer to do some specific things. One of which is to shop and to switch. And so while acquisition costs were going up, retention was going down. So now you have a situation where it costs you more to acquire a customer who's going to stick around for a shorter period of time. Whereas if you work with an agent, also happens to have this unique value to offer customers, um, you you can sort of fix via contract what you pay them. It's fair for them. It's fair for you. It's not rising like crazy over time like direct is. And the customer gets the benefit of all the value they get from the agent. So in our, in our opinion, again, it's a little counterintuitive. Agency distribution is resurgent, both in terms of consumer preference and in terms of the economics to both parties. Since the founding in 2016, how's it been going? I mean, you're in 20 states. You're still here, right? Is it growing? Is it going the way you you thought it would? In many ways, yes. Because, you know, when you start, you envision that you'll grow and that, you know, you'll sort of raise money. And like we've done a lot of the things that I think are in the playbook for building a startup. But, you know, would I have envisioned a global pandemic and how that changes how you run your business or like the market that we're in right now, generally and for insure tech. So in, in, I think the most important ways, yes, but in every other possible detail, 
absolutely not. It has not gone according to plan. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the pandemic? People stopped driving. I know driving's come back. What was that? What was that like? What 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 happened during that time for Clear Cover? It was interesting. You know, I think there were just a lot of things to manage. Honestly, the insurance business was easier to manage than the business itself because right. because oh, that's you know true. right, like people stopped driving and. We did in the States we could, we did premium give backs like everybody else. And like, you just try to make sure you're taking care of the customer in that difficult time. The harder part about the pandemic was, you know, I think at the time we were maybe had 150 employees or so when, when everything started and just, just sort of navigating the people impacts of what's going on in the world. And like, not just moving remote, but people's stress and fear. And like, it's just, that's a lot of human factors mm. to dealing with that yourself. Now multiply that by 150 or whatever the number was. And, um, we'll have to get through, but, uh, but, you know, but, but we made it through and we were stronger for it. And I think there's things about the company that are true today that would not have been true. Had that not happened that, that we're all grateful for. We're in the claims business. How do you manage claims in a brand new organization and compete against companies that have huge built out claim systems and anywhere where you're writing business and come in and, and, and say, we offer a product that's equal to or better. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And I, and I think in many ways in the early days in particular, we, we failed, we made mistakes and had to, and had to figure out how to recover from that. As claims people, you know this, there's a lot to get right. There's just, just like an insurance business, there's a lot of steps in the process, right? There's many pieces to, to getting this, this done right. And as a startup, you, you basically only have one option, which is you have, you have to try and do the bare minimum to skate by 99% of the things you have to do. And then you have to pick one of the things where you feel like you can set yourself apart. You have to look for these uh, sort of vectors of leverage where you can say, I can't, I can't, I don't have the resources to be great at everything. So instead of being okay at everything, I'm just going to sort of skate by on as many things as possible and direct those resources towards something that we think is impactful. And then over time you build the rest. And so right. for us, that was clear claims. We rolled it out like two years ago. And again, we, we use sort of our systems and technology and AI to take a small percentage of the claims we get, but still non-trivial 10, 15% and pay them out in less than 30 minutes. And there's still nobody else in the market who's doing that. So we picked that vector and we said, we're going to do something nobody else can do. The customer is going to love it. We'll be great at it. And that's, that's where we invested our time. And there were other parts of claims where we were coming up short and we knew it, but we had to just live with that for a moment until we had time to, to go and fix it. Mm -hmm. And then as we got bigger and more mature and raised more money, then we did exactly that. We started circling back to how we were running the claims org as a whole and saying, all right, now that we have the time to do it, what needs fixing? What's the next highest leverage item on the list? And we're still working through that now, but it's, it's, it's about finding leverage and knowing that there's going to be some parts of your business that feel kind of crappy and you just have to live with that for a while while you do the great thing and then come back to the other stuff. Which is a startup dilemma. And, and, you know, we've heard from others and that is basically you have to, uh, you know, like I hear about the 80, 20 rule where, you know, you just want to get it 80% of the way there. That's good enough. Get it 80% of the way there and ship it. Right. And um, I'm sure that that's at times that's hard personally, particularly when it's when you're sitting at the top of it. Right. And, you know, it's 80 percent. There's this great story about PayPal. PayPal very famously had issues with their call center. So there was a bug in the system and they had a they had a very small and kind of inadequate call center. People couldn't get their money out or something that was like people were quite angry about and they were basically backlogged on support tickets in the thousands where they just couldn't catch up, couldn't get to it. 
And people started realizing that, um, their support tickets weren't getting answered. They were emailing five, six, seven times, no response. So they start calling. So now the phone is ringing off the hook all day long in PayPal by customers who had put in a, a ticket and couldn't get any help. And they unplugged the phone because the plan was instead of just chipping away at this and having it be shitty for a long time, we're just going to let it get bad because we know we can't fix it. And then what they did is they took a team, a focused team that had the right resources and they went and stood up a proper call center, like somewhere in Nevada, 300 reps. And they chewed through that backlog in like a week. And that was like the classic startup trade-off of like, you have to deal with some level of discomfort in some areas of the business that just feel broken until you can fix them properly versus letting them be half broken forever and never really addressing the problem. Goodness. What are the things that you look at to measure success? Not to get too philosophical, but I want to draw a line here. That one of the other books that's sitting next to me is um, John Wooden's biography. Okay. Love that. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and he has this great speech it's on YouTube and he talks about success. What does it mean to be successful? And I won't, I'll, I'll paraphrase cause I don't know the exact definition, but he talks about success as sort of giving the best of yourself to something regardless of the outcome, right? Like John Wooden's definition. And this is a guy who was, successful by all common meanings of yeah, the word by right? like, every me- by every common measure. Right. Yes. And, but I think he draws this distinction between achievement and success. Mm-hmm. You can be a success without having a, a certain level of achievement, as long as you sort of put the best of yourself into what you're doing. And so if you're asking me how I measure success, that's, that's how I think about it, right? Like, are we doing our best work? Am I doing my best work? Am I putting all of myself into the thing that I'm doing that that's success. We're talking about achievement. Then it's all the things that everybody needs to think about. So premium loss ratio, combined ratio, like all, all the things that matter for running an insurance business. But I do think that distinction is important because you can be successful without necessarily being the most achieved person. And you can also achieve a lot and not really be successful depending on how you got there. Mm-hmm. That's deep. You that, that's cool. You, it's really good. You came out of American, the American family world, right? I did. Attorney by education. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they tell me. <laughs> well, we're, we're, this is, uh, you'll, you'll have to be on our legal podcast, which we do tomorrow. So <laughs> that's why we're excited about having you. We got two for the price of one. Two, two for one. I can tell you the legal ones are going to be much worse. <laughs> <laughs> were you at AmFam Ventures? What did you do at AmFam? So I got a law degree and my MBA at the University of Wisconsin. I was go Badgers, go go Badgers. New new coach. I think a lot of a lot of hope floating around the program now. Um, good, good. I was in many ways an absentee student. I didn't I didn't really love. There's a longer story here we won't get into, but um, I wanted to work with startups. I couldn't find a lot of them in my classes, particularly at law school. So I didn't go very much. I spent most of my time in the community working with startups because that's what I wanted to do. I then graduated because it turns out if you take all the tests and you pay your bills on time, you get the piece of paper at the end anyway. So I did. I was an attorney for about a year. I was a bad lawyer, not an immoral lawyer, just not a talented lawyer, and then was fortunate to meet Peter Gunder, who at the time was the chief investment officer at American Family. And Peter had this vision of innovation and venture capital and all of these things that AmFam has really grown into and, and, and um, manifested themselves over the past decade. Uh, but Peter asked me to come on board and help them think through a bunch of this stuff, including the venture fund. And then Dan Reed, who, who I know you know and has been on the podcast, Mm-hmm. And I um, kind of worked together to put the venture fund uh, together in 2013, 12. They were doing some investments before that. But I was very fortunate to be at AmFam in the earliest of days and helped Dan build out his fund and um, did that for about four years before starting ClickCover. Just a quick digression. One of the all-time great guys, and I hardly know the man, but boy, would I like to have a beer with him. Dan? <laughs> Dan is, uh, 
Dan's fantastic. Am- Amfam Ventures has like a, a great history on this podcast. Caitlin's been on about 27 times, I think, right? She, that, that's about right. Caitlin is the leading uh, candidate for the first um, smoking jacket. FNO InsureTech smoking has jacket. Has she got that smoking jacket? It was supposed to be like well, red and velour or something? It's in production. That's exactly. We're still waiting. It's in know. production. It takes a very long time to make. It takes a long time. It's very long chain time. issues, right? It's not your fault. Supply chain. We I mean, have to wait until Hugh Hefner dies. To actually take <laughs> to one actually of his, to take one of his, take from the his bunny bottom. patch off, replace it with the InsureTech podcast. I don't know, we'll take the bunny patch off. We what do you guys. think about what all American Family Adventures is, you know, has done, has become, has become yeah. since you were there? I mean, you were there in the in the founding day, the starting days. I right at the beginning, and now they're this big name. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, right? That they, they were they were very early when we started the fund. But really the only people, you know, doing institutional venture out of an insurance company were us and then Vic over at USA. The Hartford had had a fund in the past and then and then shuttered it. So there wasn't much of it going around and it was good timing because InsurTech really took off. And and then so that helped. Timing always helps. But Dan really built an incredible organization and team. You know, like like venture venture orgs are comprised of people who are looking at the market and doing deals. And the people who are there have done some, some really incredible deals. So oh my gosh, are they in uh, cover? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're an investor. They've been around from day zero. I mean, Dan was the, probably the first person I talked to about this before we started it. So they've, they've been around from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So they got it. They saw what you were saying and they were like, yeah, this is, this is cool. I think so. Or I would just badger them sufficiently that they <laughs> relented, but I, I think it was more they got it. Mm-hmm. Well, you knew where they lived and you know, what cars they drove. And so, I mean, that's, that's a big advantage. I, I did. And they knew I wasn't going to leave them alone. So we, we, we landed in the right place. So did you wake up one day and say, boy, I have this idea. I'm going to call it clear cover. Or, I mean, how did you get from that point A, you're sitting in uh, this really cool, fertile environment of, of the predecessor to AmFam Ventures, or maybe it was called that, but it's this, it's this wonderful environment and you leave it all behind to, to, to chase a crazy idea. How to tell us about, tell us that story, how you got from, from one point to the next. So when you do have that beer with Dan, ask him to give you the long version of this story because his won't be tainted with all of the self-serving <laughs> edits that mine is. And so you, you'll, you can compare them with, uh, with each other. But Let me just say before you go on that, it'll, that if I'm lucky, it will be at the old-fashioned. Oh, the old-fashioned. Uh, on the, the square. That's a good place to start. Yeah. 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 They have um, beer. You'll, you can you can sort of explore from there. So AmFam, the short version of this story is it starts with uh, Jack Salzwedel, who is the CEO. And Jack was a visionary. None of this stuff happens. You all have been in the business a long time. At a large insurer, nothing creative and brave happens unless the person at the top says it can happen. And Jack was creative and brave and had a vision for how AmFam was going to sort of lean into the future. And so it, it's, it really started with Jack before I ever got there. And they were acquisitive. They did some really interesting M&A stuff. Like it's not just venture, but they had this vision for how they were going to grow the company. And, um, and then I joined and we were doing interesting deals and InsureTech was, was getting very popular. And then in like 2015 or so, insure tech burst on the scene. Wasn't a, wasn't a word before then. And then it burst right. on the scene. And right. I, I was doing a lot of thinking around how we might invest in these next generation carriers. And at the time there were not many of them. Metro mile was around root had just come out. Lemonade was in stealth. We were trying to figure out what the hell they were doing. You know, like it was, it was early days. And part of that was developing a thesis on what you would do to win. And you heard my thesis on what what it would take to build a new next generation carrier. It's how we built ClearCover. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't see anybody doing it exactly the way that we thought it should be done or could be done. <clears throat> um, and there were a lot of like serendipitous things going on at the same time. So for example, this idea of demand capture, uh, 
is the earliest forms of this we called incidental insurance at AmFam, which people now call embedded insurance, right? But it was back to this idea of how do you integrate insurance in places where customers care about it. And there was yeah. a, um, it turns out there was an internal project going on at AmFam called insurance as a service, where this is what they were working on. How do we as AmFam lean into this idea of embedded before they called it that? This was, you know, early 2016. And I, at the time was actually about to move to San Francisco to open uh, an office for AmFam out there. And I moved back to Madison for the summer from San Francisco to like pack up our condo, sell it and go back to San Francisco full time. And I heard this project was going on. So I went to Dan and said, Dan, can I spend 20% of my time like hanging out with this crew? Cause I think it's, you know, it's interesting. We've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. And I did. And it turns out, I just found this out recently. I started going to all their meetings, but I never asked anybody. So, so shame on me. I just, I just started showing up at their meetings and nobody, nobody. As if you belonged. Nobody told me I, I needed to leave. <laughs> and, and the guy who was leading the project, a guy named Derek Burgum is my co-founder. And so oh, we worked okay. on it for a couple of weeks and I said, Derek, you know, this is smart and this fits into this broader thesis of how you build a next generation insurer, but I don't think it's going to work here. I think we have to start a new company to really pull this off. And that led to many months of conversation with AmFam about how that might work and whether it was a smart idea. And um, eventually we got to a point where we agreed that this, we should sort of set up an independent company to, to pursue this. And, and they sent us on our way, wished us well, made the first investment in the organization and, and we got to building. Wow. So they, so, so you have a really wonderful uh, relationship history with we're, we're not in that was just the first of many instances where clearcover would not exist without their support mm-hmm. well i'm sure i mean just from a learning standpoint i mean they have so much uh knowledge and information mm-hmm. about how, how to run an insurance company they do right um and uh and look and look at how far they've come in the last 10 years Right. Yeah. It's, uh, again, it's in uh, the new management has continued it, but, but Jack and, uh, his leadership team and Peter all visionaries. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's so great. So what does the uh, future look like for clear cover? I mean, is it, what do you, what are you thinking? What do y'all, what are you working on? Um, every day it's those four pillars, Right. How do okay. we, how do, how do we use technology to further improve our cost structure? Cost, cost is lost costs and the cost to run the business, uh, and use that to then deliver the best customer experiences we can. We, again, I, I said it earlier when we started the company, our, our vision was to build a generational insurance business, one that can be around for decades to come that'll outlive me and everybody that came here to build it. And, uh, that generational journey just consists of a lot of small steps. And all of those steps are guided by the things I shared with you earlier, these core principles of being customer centric, thinking long-term and using technology to improve our cost structure. Um, I'm going to share what experience I had vis-a-vis clear cover. I'm interested in your, your take feedback. Uh, so I, took on this project maybe a year ago or so. I was tired of how much I was paying for my insurance, both home and auto. Uh, that makes me totally unique, right? <laughs> and um, and anyways, I was I, I was I felt like I was being overcharged, particularly on the auto side. And particularly because of how little we drive. Both my wife and I, we live both I work from the house. She lives close very close to work. We don't put many miles on. So I think it was policy genius, maybe. I looked for different ways to show. I thought, here I am. I do a podcast on InsureTech, right? I should be like, this should be easy for me. Should be. Skip to the end. Wasn't. But so I find policy genius. I give them, you know, they ask me my profile. I give them all the information that I want. And of course, as you know, just a little caveat. It's it's hard to compare apples to apples mm-hmm. in insurance coverage, as you know. But I got as close as I could get. And the the best deal that I found was clear cover. 
on the auto side. I forget who they gave me on the property side. But the one of the reasons that I didn't end up making the switch was because of bundling, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm bundled now. It just seems more efficient, right? So anyways, long story short, I just got my annual premium renewal on my auto. So I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. But what are your thoughts on bundling? Is that an issue for you guys? It can be. I mean, it was for you. Um, yeah. Roughly speaking, probably 65 or 70% of the policies we sell, new business policies, are to homeowners, folks who have homeowners insurance. And uh, this is one of the reasons we love working through the agency channel, digital agency or sort of more analog agency, is that an agent can synthetically manufacture a bundle for you. Right. right. Exactly. They can say, I'll put you here and I'll put you here. And for most people, what it means to them is they're going to give their credit card information to the agent once that agent's going to plug it into two places. They're going to be put on auto pay in two places and it doesn't add much friction to their lives. Right. They might have an extra app on their phone. It depends on who they work with, but we, we don't have a huge problem with it now. Not a big enough problem that we think it's important for us to manufacture the product. We partner mm-hmm. with people. We partner with great distribution sources who can create those synthetic bundles. And for now, that's enough. Will it always be enough? No. But in this moment in time, when we think about the things we can do to deliver on that customer confidence loop, transparency, convenience, affordability, and value, it turns out owning another product, particularly a property product, isn't the highest leverage move we have to feed that wheel. I love how it all goes back to that. It always goes back to that. I like that. You live by those. I'm uh, I'm I'm not smart enough to have more than a couple of frameworks in my head at once. So I just use the ones I got. You're like a walking business class. You ever take you ever take business school? I mean, you ever yeah, take as an MBA. Do you? I I I got the sheet of paper. I didn't spend as much time oh, in okay. class as I should have. But <laughs> it's it's so funny that you say that because uh, one of my good friends, Jeff Holmes, who I haven't seen in years, when I got my MBA, he used to say during our MBA during the during the couple of years, he said, uh, "Yeah, when I paid my first tuition, first semester tuition, I called my dad and I said, hey, Dad, great news! I just got my MBA.'" Um, which for those of us, for many of us who have gotten our MBA know that that was true, sadly. Right. I, I, I should, I should say the university of Wisconsin MBA program is fantastic and they've done a ton for me. I just, I, I also, I probably given how fantastic that program is, I probably should have spent more time in class. Well, you live, you learn. Hindsight 2020. We're, we're going to give you a pass. So are you guys a lower cost insurer? then is it manifesting the way that you want it to? I mean, it did uh, on that, on that one search that I just show, told you about, you know, you came back as the, the leading value. The short answer is yes. I think um, we very candidly, I, I'm, I'm proud of the progress we've made on loss costs, but there's still work to do. And frankly, we just faced probably the most difficult market, in recent history in terms of auto pricing. So, um, so, so I think we're still perfecting our underwriting process, but if you compare us to a lot of our insured tech peers, it's quite good. So I'm proud of that progress, but there's still work to do. If you look at non-loss costs as, as a expense source in insurance business, so acquisition Uh servicing and loss adjustment expenses, um, I think we're as good as it gets in the market on all three. Well, that's Um, awesome. And, and it comes back to, all the things we've talked about, you know, just making sure that using technology in the right way and distributing the product in the right way. It, it, th- those, those expense advantages have really, um, you can see they manifest themselves in the actual numbers. Well, let me say that, um, if the past 50 minutes is any indication, it was worth waiting for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you all very much. I, phenomenal stuff. I, uh, I really appreciate the chance to come on and, and you just, I'm, I'm a sort of, I got to do it enough to get my matching smoking jacket with Caitlin. So you just dude, call me dude, back whenever. Dude. Well, not to be intimidating, but you have a long ways to go. I know. I'm really but, at the uh, beginning of this. 
thanks again. We'd love to have you back. Yes. And, thank you so um, much. I, and we'd also like to say, gosh, when we're in Chicago, we'd love to visit your office, but I guess that doesn't exist. It's, so. um, it's there. It's a bit of a ghost town. We've sort of, yeah. we've cleaned up a lot of the things that felt post apocalyptic since we vacated it in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. But like, if you need a quiet place to sit, there is a small office in Chicago waiting for you. No, I'd rather, I, I'd actually rather do it in Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah, Milwaukee in the summer. Not we'll go to the that winter. art museum. We'll visit the famous place of my marital demise. I mean, we can, yeah, we can do all that. Hit all the high points. All right. Well, thank you again, Kyle, so much for being on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank it. You. It's been great. We've waited a long time for that interview. We've waited a long time, and it was well worth the wait. Are we disappointed? Not in the least. What a guy. What an interesting cat, huh? Yeah, I liked yeah, he 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 is a deep thinking guy, but I love how he had his four pillars, right? And that's what he focuses on. And even when I'd ask questions, it always went back. He said, Well, you know, we talked about that, the four pillars. What are you doing in the future? Well, we talked about that. The four like Yeah, right. Yeah, he's a neat dude. You know, and and this is no knock on anybody because everybody has their own way and method, for sure. Mm-hmm. But um it's kind of rare that we have uh, somebody who's so honed in on a specific set of ideas. I agree. Like that. I agree. And not only, but doesn't have to refer to a something on a bulletin board, yeah. or or a, a crib note. Yeah, he, he knew them. It's by in heart. his head. It's in his head. He's focused on them for six years, right. almost seven years now. Right. I also have a lot of respect when somebody pulls out a book. They're like, here's a lesson that I learned. Yeah, that's a Lee Boyd thing. It is. I love it. I love that he he learns from history. He, he listens to stories mm-hmm. and he brings them into his his world. I love that. I think mm-hmm. that's very neat. We are uh, very grateful to Miranda and the team at ClearCover for arranging for Kyle to be with us today. Thank you, yeah. Kyle, Thank for you, Kyle. Uh, coming to us all the way from um, Milwaukee. the tundra of Milwaukee. It's cold there. And uh, we thank you all for being with us here today from Los Angeles, California. Yeah, we are. The uh, FNO InsureTech team together here in together. one place. It's exciting times. I kind of like this. This is kind of fun. It's yeah, why, fun don't you, why don't you fly to Waco? We can do more of these. That will not be happening. Oh, well. So it's back to uh, two guys in different places on our next episode. Heaven forbid and be with us for that. invite me to Sacramento. Be with but... us for that on our next exciting issue of FNO InsureTech. And until then, we say goodbye, everybody.